this is the final week before the Christmas. So let us really um, do our very best to focus and gather our hearts and our minds so that we can really um, concentrate on Jesus. So on this uh, final week before Christmas, I would like for all of us to uh, meditate on the concept of birth or birthing. As a matter of fact, I would like for us to uh, meditate on the whole process of birthing. I am not a woman. I don't have the experience of having birthed a child, but we have women in our midst who, who have many experiences. And they'll probably be more of an expert to talk about this issue. But because this is a very important theological concept, the whole concept of birthing, that uh, this very season of Christmas signifies, I want us to talk about this. But I am not just talking about any kind of birthing. I'm talking about birthing something that is Christ-like, as what Christmas signifies the incarnation of Jesus Christ through the birth of a little baby boy born in Bethlehem. So I want to use birthing of the Messiah as the analogy for birthing of practically anything in life that we want God's blessing on. It could be a birthing of a vision. It could be a birthing of an artwork an artist creating something and he wants to create a sort of a masterpiece and he wants to birth that art into reality. Birthing of an idea, a project or a product. It could be a business plan. It could be a birthing of a, some kind of building project. It could even be a birthing of a family, a birthing of a church. Whatever form it may be, we use the term birthing to describe that whole process that is involved in actually bringing these ideas or concepts or plans into reality. Now, if we really want to birth anything that is Christ-like, then we need two factors. We need, first of all, the God factor. There has to be God involved in this. It's impossible to say something is Christ-like apart from there being God involved in this. And then there's, of course, the human factor. Because we're the ones who are really going to birth. And all women know that no matter what assistance they receive, ultimately at the end, they're the ones who are suffering. They're the ones who have to go through the labor pain. They're the ones who have to give that final push and bring that baby out into this world. Isn't that true? There's no smiles here. I, I think they're reminded of so much pain and suffering during that time. But um, I don't want to make light of it. It's a very serious business. But like once again, I'm going to qualify myself by saying that, or disqualify myself by saying that uh, I don't have the experience. And yet, I think I can reflect, I can imagine based upon what the scripture says about Christ's birth. So let's go back to the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1, 
verses 18 to 23. And let's read this story and let's really focus on the theme of birth. Beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. So I want to talk about uh, three very important aspects of this entire birthing process. First, it has to do with conception. Birth is not possible apart from conception. Uh, of course, you can carry a child on behalf of someone, a child that you did not conceive on your own. Sure, you can do that. You can be a surrogate mom. But the most natural way, most organic way, is that you conceive that child that you're going to be carrying in your womb until the time of birthing. So birthing begins with conception. And we know in Jesus' case, Mother Mary, she conceived because of the Holy Spirit's power that came upon her. There was nothing magical about this. That she didn't conjure up something. She did not just have wishful thoughts about this. She didn't even initiate this. It was God who initiated all of this. And conception has to do with that point of contact where God's seed, so to speak, penetrates into the human soul. In this case, God's seed, sort of like an equivalent of man's sperm, penetrating into the egg of the mother. So it's God penetrating into a human soul. And from there, the miracle of conception really begins to happen. So you have the embryonic cell, which has all the genetic code embedded in it. So that when that cell begins to replicate and cluster together, they become tissues. And the tissues become organs. And the body parts. And the entire human being with the fully developed body parts, they carry the genetic code, the likeness of Christ. So in order for anything to be birthed, that we would say, this is really Christ-like, this has God DNA in it, then God is the one who has to initiate this. 
So the most important thing is when we get engaged in you know, envisioning something for the future, planning for something in the future, doing some work of God, operating in some kind of projects related to God, whatever it may be, we have to ask this question, did God start this? Am I carrying that DNA of God? As a matter of fact, when I get engaged in thesis writing in my school, every thesis is like a birthing process. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It starts with an idea. It starts with something being conceived in my soul or in my mind or in my heart. And if I try to create something, it's not going to amount to much because I'll get frustrated. And even if I do succeed, everything kind of fizzles out at the end. But when God initiates something, something happens, something divine happens. I feel so fulfilled having received that revelation or that insight from God. And that whole working process is as though I am doing it as unto the Lord. And I feel more of a sense of meaning and purpose and significance in the things I do. But it starts with that conception. It has to do with that spark. It has to do with that seed of an idea. And we need to receive that from the Lord. There's no other way about it. That's how conception works. The bottom line is you can conceive it on your own. Fleshly ideas all the time, just kind of cranking our heads, you know, just brainstorming with people. I've done a lot of that too. And I'm not satisfied with that. And as I age more and more, I really want to focus on what God initiates, what God sparks. And if I don't have the confidence, I don't even want to engage in it because I, I'm going to be frustrated at the end of it. So let us all start with that conception, which basically means that it's God who initiates, that God who gives us the revelation, God who gives the inspiration, God who gives us the spark, God who may grant us that dream in the deep of the night. God brings all the factors together that it seems like it converges or integrates into one vision or picture. And we all need that for the year 2022. We all need to have some kind of vision that we need to birth. It doesn't have to be a big mega vision. It doesn't have to be my life destiny. It's to the end of the year 2022. What is it that God wants me to birth? Well, it begins with conception. So let us pray. Let us ask. Let us open our eyes and our ears to see what God has to say and what God will show us. And let us receive that God, the divine DNA of the seed that will germinate in our hearts. All birthing begins with conception. The second part of this process is pregnancy. And this is the longest process, isn't it? Conception is that moment right there when the Holy Spirit brings that inspiration, that revelation, that spark, that awakening into our soul. But pregnancy, that's a long process, a lengthy process of some 9 to 10 months. And what happens during this time? Well, that vision 
or that idea or that plan begins to grow inside of you, sort of like in your spiritual womb. And you got to nourish that. you got to nurture that. This is a process of incubation. When it is well insulated, well guarded, well shielded, not constantly distracted by many things, but you really have it. You have to know how to protect the baby in the womb, so to speak. And that's what we need to do. We need to protect this. If it's from God, it's so much of value. It's precious. We have to know how to incubate that. And this has to do with our reflection, our intercession, our efforts, sometimes bringing some more nutrition into that idea. And sometimes we have to search for those resources. You know, the mothers have to eat properly. Mothers have to take in the proper nutrition because all of that is going to be needed to make the baby in her womb to grow. But the process is long. The biblical model seems to be that it takes decades. You know, Abraham's case, he had to wait 25 years. The whole pregnancy period before his birth, before the birth of his child Isaac came forth. Moses had to wait 40 years. Well, he had to wait extra 40 years to get it really right. But the first 40 years was because he tried to operate in the flesh and he had to go out in the, to the backside of the desert to deal with that issue. But even after he returned back to Egypt and rescued the Israelites from Egypt, he had to lead the people wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years until finally he saw right before his eyes that they were about to enter into the promised land. Moses is the epitome of waiting. Someone who waited for decades before his vision became fulfilled. Jesus, to really engage in his three years of dynamic ministry, he had to wait 30 years of his life. Think about it. That's a relatively short amount of years, we say. But actually, Jesus only lived to 33 years of age. And so he spent something like 90% of his life in preparation. The whole incubation process. And he had to grow. He had to mature. He had to learn skills. He had to learn to operate as a human being and experience the things as human beings before finally he took on the load of operating as a Messiah. But Jesus' life didn't end with that. He's still waiting. It's been 2,000 years since he came to earth. But he's still waiting for his vision to be fulfilled. His vision has not been fulfilled. The kingdom of the world is not his kingdom yet. You know, every tongue confess, every knee bow at the name of Jesus. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. He's waiting for the time. So that whole waiting period until things are incubated, that's a very important thing. Thomas Edison, he attributed his creative genius to not something like 99% inspiration. He said, it's the reverse. I have the spark of inspiration that's only 1%, but it's 99% perspiration. All the hard work, all the whole processing that has to go in before the light comes on. 
you know, in order to get the light bulb to come on, have the right type of filament, right type of vacuum, right type of conditioning, so that we can have the, the luxury and the convenience of having light bulb, which Thomas Edison invented. He tried nearly a thousand times. I visited a museum here in Korea, Thomas Edison Museum, and they had hundreds of these light bulbs. I don't know where they obtained it. That's nothing compared to a thousand times of experimentation. So now he can really say, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. But the final part of this whole process is the actual birthing. Actual birthing. And sometimes right here at this point, people tend to fail. The baby's there. The conception happened. The baby has fully grown. And the baby now needs to come out into the world. Baby needs to be actualized in the real world. And it's right here at this point, at this juncture, sometimes things go wrong. And so, in order for birthing to be complete, you have to go through the conception period, you have to go through the pregnancy period, which is a long period, and then the final period of labor, which can take hours for some people, but it can take days for some people. And sometimes I, I hear of women who have to go back home and rest and come back after a few days. It's a torturous time for them but in the final push, that baby is thrusted outward into the world. And we can say, hey, here's the baby. And the baby goes, ah, here, and make itself known to the world. So a birthing has to do with the actual implementation of our visions. You can't just hold on to the vision in your head. My thesis was never written just because I... I held that in my mind, and I, I just meditated, I prayed about it, and I really got engrossed in it. I could see it and all that, but I had to start working through the night, typing that out, reformatting it, editing it, polishing it. And then the product was birthed. So we need to go through that whole process. And if the child is not birthed when it's time for the birth, then that child may die in the womb. I think a lot of visions have died in the womb of so many individuals. A lot of plans, a lot of good intentions. A lot of great ideas have been buried in the ground of their soul. And so what is necessary if you're not able to birth that baby? Well, then you might have to do something radical, surgery a cesarean. And God has a way of doing that too sometimes. He really has a way of just kind of ripping you inside and bringing you forth, pushing you and thrusting you so that you have to go and birth that baby. I don't know if our women can identify with this, but, uh, you know, I can only imagine. And I've seen plenty from the outside to be able to imagine plentily. But it would be different when our women would start preaching this message one day. I hope you can. And I, I hope that you can get some ideas for this. So the whole process of conceiving the child, incubating the child, nurturing the child within, 
and then finally birthing that child. And this takes what kind of attitude on the part of Mary and Joseph? It takes simply trust and submission to the will of God. Because God is going to do most of it. But at the end, you are the one who is going to have to really participate and get that baby out into the real world. And so we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary's attitude in this short one-liner. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And for that, she was highly commended, highly favored by God. For this attitude, he says, I am your servant. I am your maid servant. Let it be done unto me, and I will do everything to carry that out. For the sake of your vision, O Lord. This is how she responded to angel Gabriel. When Gabriel spoke the same word, a prophecy to her, as he spoke to Joseph. So he had to speak to Joseph first so that Joseph can, you know, prepare and basically accommodate for Mary. But Mary is the real recipient of that word because she who's going to be the one who's going to conceive that child, be pregnant, and go through that labor pain and finally give that push which will birth that child. Now as a way of closing, I find the text in Habakkuk very, very interesting. In the, in the prophetic circles, where people understand the concept of the revelation and prophecy, how visions and dreams operate, this text is a very important text. So let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Let me give you a little background to Habakkuk for those of you who may not really know. Habakkuk's writing of these prophetic words are a little bit different from other prophetic words. It's basically a dialogue between him and God. And basically it has to do with lamentation or complaints that he has. He has issues with God and he's bringing these issues, he's bringing these questions to God. And he initiates by saying, you people, Judah, they're so evil, they're so wicked. Why are you not doing something about this? Punish them. Bring some kind of wrath upon them. Set your people right, O God. And then he received the revelation, and God says, I will do that, and I'm going to use the power of Babylon to do exactly that, to punish Judah. Oh, and then, then Habakkuk goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Babylon is even more worse, and they, they're not your people. They're going to destroy your people. How can you allow this? And God's answer comes back. Don't worry about Babylon, because I will punish Babylon big time as well. And then Israel will be redeemed in the process. And what he requires of his prophet Habakkuk is, I want you to be found faithful and trust me through this whole process because it's going to be like a birthing process. I allow you to conceive that idea, a prophetic word, and that knowledge from God, but you're going to have to hold on to that. You have to sort of intercede on behalf of your people. You have to be like a watchman on a high tower looking down and surveying the land and seeing what's happening and agonizing over it and calling out to me in intercession. But you have to go through all that. Did you know after Habakkuk prophesied or lamented here, those three chapters recorded here, 
It will be something like 60, 60 years before his prophecy will be fulfilled, that Babylon will be destroyed. But let's see what this dialogue looks like. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Wow. I love this word, but every time I get to the last part, he says, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. I get a little bit frustrated about that. Oftentimes, I feel like the Lord delays over and over. But here, the Lord is assuring his prophet Habakkuk, it will not delay, it will come in the perfect time. And if it happens earlier, you will have a, a miscarriage. If it happens in my time, the perfect time, without any delay, and that baby is birthed at that time, then your word, prophecy, will be fulfilled. Amen. Now let's look at another text that comes at the very end. So we're looking at a text that comes pretty much relatively early and then comes at the very end. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And this is another set of words which I really, really love and appreciate. And it's so poetic if you think about it. And this is what Habakkuk had to say. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. This sovereign Lord is my strength, He makes my feet like a feet, of a deer, he enables me to tread on the heights. Where did Habakkuk get this sense of hope? The real present situation is very bleak, very dark. And yet he can say, I will rejoice. I will be joyful. Well, the key is this. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. As long as you're in the hand of the Lord, as long as you're in the bosom of the Father, as long as you are connected to God, and if God has really planted that seed of an idea or that vision or plan in your heart, and if you have the patience to go through the whole period of pregnancy, and if you're willing to submit and obey God when He says it's time to push, go out and do it. If you're willing to do that, you could operate like Habakkuk, who can rejoice in the Lord. And like I said, this prophecy regarding Babylon 
oppressing the people of God, the answer to Habakkuk's lamentation happened some 66 years later. Are we willing to wait that long? Are we willing to bear through the whole process until we see that baby, Christ-like baby, being birthed in our lives? I hope we can. I hope that instead of thinking of our whole life destiny, why don't we just think about one year for next year to the end of the year 2022. Why don't we just pray to the Lord asking that He would plant something in our hearts, spark something. And so we begin to incubate that idea. Pray, intercede, reflect. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was really good at constantly treasuring those thoughts in her heart. She was a meditator. She was a contemplator. And if we can do that, and before the end of this year, if we can be even involved in that birthing process, I think we can go back to this message and say, hey, I really abided by the prophetic process. Like Habakkuk. Like Moses. Like Abraham. Like David. And so many prophets of Israel and even like Jesus I did it the way Jesus and the prophets and apostles have done Amen? Amen, Amen. Let's pray